Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 7th of June, 2021. We're recording this podcast at midnight, 12.19 Eastern, at Eastern Time, a little late night, early morning podcast that will be out you know, sometime during uh, on Monday. Uh, of course, I'm your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn, discussing the world of sports and pop culture. It'll be heavy on the sports and probably um, probably no pop culture this particular episode as we we are in the thick um, of the NBA playoffs, which um, now things uh, have gotten serious, to say at least, in the playoffs because now the pretenders, the teams that basically had no chance to win a championship are out. And you're going to see contending teams going up, going against each other and going above, going against teams that are trying to skip the line and get to a championship or get to a finals or go further than what people may expect it. Uh, we'll talk more about it. We'll certainly have, you know, have our thoughts on what the Atlanta Hawks did uh, this afternoon in Philadelphia. Um, but again, with game seven in uh, L.A., uh, as the Clippers exercise some demons, not all the demons, because let's let's not forget that they they made it this far. They made it, you know, this far last year. They were in Game Seven of the Eastern of the Western Conference semifinals, so they are back where, in, in essence, they are back where they left off last year um, in the second round. So I'm not going to say the Clippers exercise all the demons, but they exercise some of them coming back down two games to nothing, two games to uh, zero, losing home court uh, multiple times during the series, coming back, coming back from a three, uh, from three down, three, two, winning the last two games of this series and the last four out of the last five. Uh, that was, you know, before we get to this game, the game six performance out of Kawhi Leonard was, um, was an epic performance to say the least. Yeah, I think it, Frankly, was his best. I, I can make a case. Being, I, I guess you can between that and Game Seven of the uh, Eastern Conference Semis against Philly a couple years ago. Those are his two best playoff games. Now you can go either one. The Philly one was a Game Seven uh, against a better team in Philadelphia. That was a loaded Philadelphia team. Of course, he had the theatrics of the game-winning shot. <laughs> so I can I can see. You making uh, the case that being his best playoff game uh, uh, in his career, but this one he was, but that one, but the one on Friday he shoots eighteen for twenty five. Uh, that was a tight, tightly contested game in terms. Of, that was a a real playoff game from a defensive standpoint. Uh, you know, one hundred four to ninety seven. Clippers played great defense uh, in that game. Uh, Buckets were at a premium in that game. That was not a lot. That was not a high-scoring game like this was in game like this game seven was. Uh, so that you know, uh, I was impressed with that performance on Friday as much as much as even more so than than the one in the game seven back two years ago. But regardless, he was phenomenal in uh, the last two games of the series. Uh, for the series, he you know. Basically, it was 33 and 33 points uh, and shot on close to 62% from the field, which is, you know, just off the charts. And he did what he had to do to, uh, to get his team to the second round. Um, you know, I'm not going to knock Dallas 
for blowing a 2-0 series lead or a 3-2 series lead because Dallas, let's be honest, look at that roster. Look at that roster. Really look at that roster. That They really, you know, they're, they're, they are not a championship team. Um, you have a roster, and, and you look at this game, the difference is the depth between the two teams, the depth in terms of depth of talent. I mean, Clippers get 51 points from Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, and uh, Terrence Mann. 51 points. Dallas, in this game, really only played five guys, heavy minutes. Carlisle really only trusted five guys. His five starters played the, the majority of the bulk of the minutes. Only guy that played double figures outside of a starter was Jalen Brunson, who only played ten. Who only played ten minutes. The rest of those guys, you know, Clintsman, uh, Clintsman, uh, Clinta, um, Josh Richardson, basically were just you know, I mean Trey Burke. Trey Burke was, was playing minutes, and if, if Trey Burke is playing minutes in a game seven, you got problems. That's all it is to it. You got major problems. So really, everything was exposed. Every all of Dallas's problems were exposed in this particular game. Two dependent on Luca. You have a a guy in Porzingis who is a a a super a max role player at this stage in his career. Ends up, you know, for this series, averaging like thirteen points a game. Um. Spent a lot of his time shooting long jump shots or being basically a decoy over the course of this series. I mean, their second their second best player in in the playoffs, in essence, was Tim Hardaway Jr. And if Tim Hardaway Jr. is your second best player, then you're not going very far. Um, the performance by Luka Doncic was it, it was you know it, it, to say spectacular it doesn't do it justice. It was a it was a legendary performance. And I'm not, when you talk about 47, 46 points, 14 assists, and seven rebounds, um, he was, he did everything that he could possibly do to keep to keep that team in the game, to keep that team afloat. Uh, 29 points in the, in the first half. Um, but again, we've seen this, we've seen this movie before with great players. We saw it with Jordan, saw it with LeBron. It doesn't matter how singular your talent is in the NBA. You don't have that second guy. You know you're not winning anything till you till you get some help. And I, I just don't. It just it's just not happening. It just that's just the way. That is the history of the NBA. We've seen some of the greatest singular talents of all time not be able to win a playoff series. Remember, Michael Jordan bought, like didn't win a playoff series until 1988. Came to the league in eighty in in uh, came to the league in eighty four. So this first, he lost his first three playoff series to uh, Milwaukee and to Milwaukee in '85, and and back to back years with Boston '86 and '87, and of course in '80 and '88, you know they got Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, um, and and you know that was kind of like the beginning, you know that they got their first taste of, of of a playoff win, and you know the rest is history. So you know we've seen this movie before. With uh, great players, and you know, Luca's no different. Like he ends this, you know, through twelve playoff games, and all against the Clippers, he's basically thirty-two, nine and nine, shooting forty-eight percent from the uh, field, 
38% from the three-point line. And frankly, you know, before I get back to this, Dallas is on the clock. Let's be honest. Dallas is on the clock with Luca. Luca will sign a max extension in the summer. He's extension eligible in the summer. He's going to sign that, no question. You know, five years, four years, five years, 195 million, because he's going to be all in. Because he's going to be all NBA first team uh, for the second straight year. So he'll get the max extension, and they'll have about two years to get this roster right before he demands a trade. That's how that's how this thing is going to go. And with Dallas, I you know, the thing Dallas has going against them is they, you know, they they have the one of the worst contracts in basketball in that Porzingis in, in, with Christoph Porzingis. Porzingis is due one hundred and one million dollars over the next three years. No one in their right mind with Porzingis's injury history, history would dare touch that contract until twenty twenty three minimum. At, at, at the late, at the earliest, 2023. Because in in 2023, he'll have only one more year. Um, In the summer of 2023, so yeah, 23, 24, see, 22, 23, 24. um, So yeah, in the summer of 2023, he'll have one year left on the contract. So that, that is more enticing when a guy has an expiring contract, no matter what the situation is, because you receive that money, you can take that money off your salary cap following when that guy hits free agency. So that that'll become it'll become more enticing for somebody. It'll be it'll be tradable in 2023. It's not tradable this year. It's not tradable next summer. Period. So now what? Dallas has little to no flexibility whatsoever. I mean, they they're gonna probably have to sign Tim Hardaway Jr. Who's a free agent? Um, they're gonna get. They're gonna have to hope that Porzingis comes back and returns some somehow returns to the form that he had back when he before all the injuries when he was in New York early in his career, or they get incredibly lucky in the NBA in in, in the draft. Even if Luca gets better, which Luca will get better, that team is not a. That team is, you know, maybe they can win a round. Maybe they can get to the conference semifinals, especially in the Western Conference. Like right now, you know, Denver's better and has a brighter future. Uh, the Clippers are better. The Lakers are better. Utah is better. I think I'm leaving out a team. That's also I'm leaving. I'm, I know I'm leaving out a team. Phoenix. Phoenix is better. And I fully expect Phoenix to resign Chris Ball in the, in the offseason. I don't think he's going anywhere. So, you know, I I just don't see a a a way. I don't see a lot of light at the end of the tunnel for the Dallas Mavericks. You know, moving forward. Um, again, again, unless they and think about this. And you know, the NBA over the last decade, we've seen a lot of unhappy stars. We've seen stars just all of a sudden just want to be traded. Things fall apart. There's, that is destined to happen again uh, this year or the following year or the next year. I mean, it's going to happen. It's just the way these guys just don't stay in one place for a sustained uh, amount of time. It doesn't matter because Dallas does – what do you have to trade? Dallas doesn't have the assets to acquire a unhappy star. They don't. 
Sixers have Ben Simmons, 24 years old, all-star, all-NBA caliber player with a, with a good contract and some draft picks. Dallas doesn't have – Dallas has next to nothing to acquire uh, that type of player. Again, Luka Doncic – there are two things Luka did that I loved after the game was over. One, he refused to, to, to take Paul George's to do the, the whole jersey swap, which is corny. It was just, just the corniest shit that, that, that's in sports right now. Just the whole jersey swap. I, I, soccer, I understand. It's a soccer tradition, so I'm not going to lie because it's, it's a tradition. But somehow it, is, it has made its way to American sports, to NFL. You see it in the NFL. You see it in the NBA. I, I can't stand it. I just, it, it drives me crazy. You know, it's one thing if a guy's retiring at the end of, you know, Dwayne Wade did it at the end of his career and the guy's last game, that's one thing. But during, after, you tell me after game seven of a playoff series, if I, now I want a jersey swap at, and my team's lost? Like, like hell no. <laughs> no. Shake hands, give pleasant sheets, good summer, and keep it moving. And I'm glad. And Luca, you know, Luca, I'm sure was respectful with it in terms of with Paul George, but it's like no, he's like like nah, I'm not about that life. I want to win. I'm trying to win championships. And in the press conference, Luca said that you know, people were bringing up his stats. I think it was uh, Tim McMahon um, asked him a question about his stats and you know just how insane they were, which is true. They are his stats are insane. He averaged basically like 35. You know, I think Luca was like 35, 10, and seven in this series. Um, but Luca basically said it doesn't matter because we didn't win. It's about winning. So he has is the perfect mind frame, mindset from that standpoint. The thing Luca has to get, has to improve, and he can, obviously with the three point shot, he definitely has to improve that. He can be he can be a thirty eight percent to forty percent three point shooter. Um, he has to get in better condition. He came into the league, he came into this season out of shape. He needs. He could lose about ten to fifteen pounds. Like uh, he could lose about ten pounds. And let's be honest. Now I don't know if that has anything to do with him not finishing uh, games well in the fourth quarter, struggling in the fourth quarter. I don't know how much the two coincide, but he definitely could be in better shape, which is scary for the rest of the NBA. And <laughs> he's twenty-two years old. He's twenty-two years old. So. Um, again, Dallas goes home for the second straight year at the hands of the Los Angeles Clippers in the first round. Clippers advance. You're going to see some people on the Clipper bandwagon. I'm not quite there yet because uh, all they did all they did was what they were supposed to do, and that's to be a team that they were superior to and get to the second round. But, so it's not it's not the end-all, be-all for a team that has too much of aspirations for a team that has two of the top 15 players in the world on on their roster and a talented roster at that. Um, give Ty Lue credit. Like, Ty Lue took a lot of shit. Clipper, Doc Rivers took a lot of shit last year with some of the moves that he did make and them blowing that lead. Ty uh, blowing the 3-1 lead to Denver. Ty Lue um, made, you know, made the adjustments, went small, had Batuma's center, uh, you know, took took Patrick Beverly out this series because Patrick Beverly could not play in this series. He went to Reggie Jackson. That paid off. Reggie Jackson hit some big shots in these last two games, and particularly made probably the two biggest shots. And this, he made a big three 
that kind of put the game away, put the game away in this game. Um, uh, went with Terrence Mann. So he pressed all the right buttons, 4-0 in game sevens. So that you you cannot dismiss that 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 aspect that he is 4-0 in game sevens in his career and has won a championship. So give Ty Lue credit. We'll see what happens. Um they played Utah next. I don't have right now, I'm don't have a, a good great feel of that series. Uh as at this moment. I, you know, give me a couple of days to kind of kind of process that series but still it should be a very definitely a competitive series it'll be interesting to see how they deal with how utah deals if the clippers decide to go small um in that series um the other game today um before we get to milwaukee brooklyn last night atlanta philadelphia atlanta comes in shocks philadelphia um and this is a game that just a, it's a wild game to say the least. First of all, um, Philadelphia's performance, Philadelphia should be embarrassed with the performance that they with their performance uh, in that game today. You're Philadelphia. You come out. You are the number one seed. You have championship aspirations. You're facing a team that I want to say probably came in the game into that game just happy to be there. And you go out there and allow them to put 42 points on the board in the first quarter, 71 and a half. Um, Atlanta goes out. Atlanta makes 23s. Yeah, Atlanta makes, uh, shoots 20 or 47 from three-point range. Trey Young is the best player on the floor. And next thing you know is Atlanta is winning game one of that series. Uh, 128 to 124. They completely controlled the game from start from start, basically almost to the finish. We'll we'll talk about the finish in a minute because it was that 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 was some of the worst game management that you'll ever see. But listen, Atlanta flat out outplayed them. They kicked Phil up his ass. I mean, there's no two ways about it. With Embiid, uh, you told me that Embiid was going to play and score 39 and get 39 and 10. I would have told you that Philadelphia would have, was going to win by at least 15 points. And now you have, now Atlanta has to believe that they can win the series. Because if you're Philadelphia, if you're Philadelphia, you have championship aspirations. You're playing a team that you're clearly better than. You're playing a team that is young, up-and-coming team, um, this is new to them. You want to win a championship. And you always, to me, as the home team, should come out with a sense of urgency in game one to, you know, solidify home court advantage. Now, again, I still think Philadelphia is going to win the series, but frankly, it's going to be, it's going to be a dogfight. Atlanta's winning one of, the, one of the two games in Atlanta. Period. This is going to be... At minimum, at worst, a six-game series now, in my opinion. Danny Green cannot play in this series. Uh, Trey Young basically almost put him into retirement. Um, and then like Doc Rivers, you know, waits until the second half to make the adjustment to put Ben Simmons on on Trey Young. Ben Simmons did a, a, a pretty a decent job 
on Trey Young. Did pick up a couple, couple, couple of fouls, but at least slowed him down somewhat uh, in that third quarter. That kind of allowed Philadelphia to to uh, get back in the game. Um, but Danny Green had no chance in that game. Uh, Thibault came in, did a decent job, made some shots. I'm saying right now, I, I would go heavy on Thibault. Danny Green played about, I think Danny Green played 30 minutes. I'm game two. I'm having a quick look from Doc Rivers in regards to Danny Green. If Danny Green is not making shots, then he is of no use to be on the floor. I mean, seriously, he's like he. What like like because Thibel could do that. Thibel, first of all, Thibel's gonna play better defense. And and like the reason why Danny Green is getting the is getting the minutes, obviously he's a veteran that's won more championships, uh won three championships, or you know, and the reason why he's on a team like Philadelphia and he's all he's always on a good team because he's a good, you know, he's a good veteran player that, that's been there before and has play has a ton of playoff experience. But if he's not making shots. At this stage in his career, his defense is, you know, is okay. It's not he's not a defender that he once was back when he was uh with San Antonio or even or even or even two years ago with uh Toronto. He's not that player anymore. And he's older. I mean, Dan Green's been in the league for a minute now. Dan Green has to be about what's he? Dan Green is 30, 35. He went to North Carolina all four years. Uh, Dan Green is 35, 36 years old. He's been in the league for a minute. Um, came to the league in 09. Yeah, he was in an 09 draft because the year North Carolina won a championship. So he's been in the league since 09. Um, so maybe he's not 35. Maybe he's about 34. But he's, 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 got, he's got some miles. He's got a lot of miles. I've played in a ton of playoff games, been in a number of finals games. Again, is a good guy to have on your team as experience. He's, I mean, he's still a rotational guy. He's still a rotational guy in this league, but in this particular series, I don't know if he can play this I would have a hook if I were coaching, if I were if I'm Doc Rivers. Thibault came in, actually made a couple of shots. And we know Thibault is one of the 10 best, one probably one of the five best perimeter defense players in the league. Thibault is a top perimeter defender in this league and probably will make, will I think, certainly make second team all NBA. Now we get to the ending. So Atlanta is running away with this game. And for some reason, again, I, I will, it just baffled me, just completely just baffling, baffling to me. Atlanta has last couple minutes, last two minutes of the game, had no timeouts. Philly goes on this crazy, just ridiculous run. They force a number of turnovers. And Atlanta, can, Atlanta had trouble inbounding the ball, let alone getting it past half court. Um, they got the lead at one point down to two. Uh, Atlanta makes a couple free throws. Um, makes a couple free throws. Philly misses a shot, and then basically that—I mean—that was basically the game. Uh, that basically was the game. Boganovich uh, hit hit a big three to kind of put really kind of put the icing on the cake. But it, that that game should have never even came down to that. First of all, I don't understand how you could run out of timeouts in a situation where you are up by double digits for about 90% of the game. Like, I just don't understand that, like, how you could possibly run out of timeouts. And to my knowledge, I don't think they lost any challenges. 
I don't I, I don't think Atlanta lost any challenges in that game. Please, uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong uh, on Twitter or Instagram when I put this up. And then you have a situation where you're fouling Ben Simmons and you're up two possessions. You're up by eight points. You're up by six points and you're fouling. You're doing you're fouling Ben Simmons and it almost cost them. So one situation, they foul him. He goes to the line. He misses one. He he makes one, misses one. On the miss, and B gets the offensive rebound and, and puts it and, and gets a layup and turns it into a three point play. Again, Ben Simmons, <laughs> Ben Simmons is such a. This is how horrible of a free throw shooter Ben Simmons is. That teams are losing their minds and just just going batshit because they can't wait to to get into the fourth quarter and foul and go go hack a Ben. Even when they're up, we saw the Wizards do it in the backfire in their last game in in, in their previous in, in, in game five of that series. This game it backfired because again, you are up in the game. You're up. I don't like the clock is your friend. I don't want to. I don't want to stop the clock when I'm winning the game and I, I'm up in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry if I'm if I have a lead in the fourth quarter. I'm not doing a hack of anything. It makes zero sense to me. That is a strategy to do if the game to me, if you're trailing, and you're trying to get back in the game. It is not a strategy to me when you're up in the game when, when you're winning. I, I just I just don't get it. I don't get it. it I don't get the philosophy of it. I, I don't get what coaches are thinking. I've, I've seen coach. I've seen, I've seen college coaches do it. I've seen it done. I, you know, I, I've seen coaches from all at all, at, at all levels in college and probably haven't seen it in high school, but college and pro definitely do it. So I, I just don't get it in a close, in a game when you're, when you are winning the game. And again, the timeout situation is just something that Nathan Miller, like you can't, you can't run out of timeouts in a game where you're up by double digits throughout the majority of the game. There's no there's no way you should run out of timeouts. The NBA, the NBA has a, I mean the NBA has a it's almost impossible to run out of timeouts in the in the NBA period. It's almost you know how hard it is to run out of timeouts in the NBA game. With that being said, again, you have to give Trey Young all the credit in the world. Played a tremendous game, four straight thirty-point games on the road. Um, uh, John Collins played well. Bogovich made some big shots. Uh, again, Atlanta, you know, shot, you know, made twenty threes in the game, and you know, give Atlanta credit. Like Atlanta was not clearly not satisfied with just winning one round. Uh, they are a fun team to watch. Um, I still think Philadelphia wins the series, but uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a dogfight. Um, big picture on 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 Ben Simmons. I I've been a Ben Simmons fan since he came to the league. I I've been I mean I think Simmons is a tremendous player. He's an All Star player. He's an all has been All NBA in his, before in his career. Third team. You can't have your starting point guard long term shooting fifty percent from the line and missing shooting a liability. Uh, you can't have you can't have a situation where teams want to foul your starting point guard. You just, you just can't like and I I don't know what it would, what it's gonna take for Philadelphia to move off Ben Simmons in the offseason. Maybe if they lost this series that they probably would that would probably be the nail in the coffin. 
but I just don't think that you can, I, you know, and I picked Philadelphia to get to the finals, but I, I've seen, I've seen enough with Ben Simmons and these free throws. It's just like, there's no way that they're, that they're beating the Nets or Milwaukee. If Ben Simmons can't make free throws, down the stretch of the game, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So that, that is something that they have to look at in the off season real hard unless they win a championship from organ from organizations standpoint, unless they win a championship, you win a championship, then it's like, okay. But, if you, but you know, if the idea is to win a championship, which I think it is, because, you know, because by bottom line, you don't know how many good years NBA has left with his, with his injuries. You just don't know. You really don't. You have to treat these years almost like the Lakers have to treat LeBron, to be honest. I'm mean, in because NBA's body is probably the same age as LeBron physically. That's where he probably is at from a physical standpoint. So we'll see what happens in game two. Uh, so Atlanta kind of you know, pulling off the the slight, the, the upset in game one. In regards to um, what happened Saturday night uh, with Milwaukee and Brooklyn, uh, to me it's simple. Um, number one, I don't, first of all, I don't want to hear about the Harden injury from a standpoint of, I don't want to hear any excuses if, if Brooklyn doesn't win a championship. Because what were the odds that all three of these guys were going to go through a grueling playoffs, coming off a condensed season, and be healthy? We saw they only played like eight games all year long. There was a strong possibility that, that, that all three of these guys were not going to be healthy going to go through the playoffs. Now, I would have the money. I would have bet money at the beginning of the season that it would be Kyrie Irving, not James Harden, or even or even Kevin Durant. Brooklyn still has the best team in the league. They still have the most talent, even without James Harden. The one guy they cannot afford to lose would be Kevin Durant. They can you can win a championship with Harden with with Harden Durant with Durant Irving. You're not winning a championship without Kevin Durant. So if it were James Harden and Kyrie, no, that that they wouldn't win the they wouldn't win the championship with, without Durant. But Harden is, you know, they can win a championship without James Harden. Period. Um, Milwaukee played in the second half one of probably one of the dumbest games that you will ever see, considering the shot selection, considering the fact that. First half, you score 61 points. You're going inside. They have no answer for Giannis. They have no answer for Brooke Lopez. And all of a sudden, um, you go three-point three happy and end up doing that. I think Milwaukee ended up like six for 30 from three-point range. They were like – they were four for 19 um, at half. They ended up, they ended up like six – like I said, six for 30. Brooklyn, Brooklyn shoots 15 for 40. And listen, if you're Milwaukee – Look at Durant and Irving. They got their points. They had 54 between them, but they took 51 shots to get them. So you're fine with that. Like you take that that lack of efficiency. These, you know, Durant and Irving are two of the most efficient players at the position at their respective positions in the league. They, they shot well over 50 percent during the season. Irving was a 50 40 50 40 90 guy. Uh, Durant shot 54 uh, percent during the regular season. So if you can you can you can guys under fifty percent shooting. You've done a great job. You've done your job. 
the problem is you can't give up 49 points to Blake Griffin, Mike, Blake Griffin, Mike James, and uh, and Joe Harris. You just, it just you have no chance if their role players are not, are that dominant. I mean, you can't get Blake Griffin getting 18 and 14 like that. That just can't happen. Even even with even without hard, that can't happen. Uh, Milwaukee got nothing out of his role players. They bad night for Middleton, six six twenty three. I thought Holiday. I thought Drew Holiday was fine. I, I had probably his performance. Remember, he has to guard as well. Um, Giannis thirty four and eleven. But the problem is he took too many jump shots and not didn't spend enough time in the paint. Giannis in this series could easily average 40 to 45 points a game in the series. They have no, when I mean they have no answer for Giannis inside, they have zero answer for him. Um, again, I, I think the game, you know, Milwaukee's going to have to swallow their pride and just play. You can't play fast-paced. You're not going to beat Brooklyn in, in in a skill game, in a game of skill. Shooting, passing, uh, offense, that's not going to happen. And, that, and that's a tough pill for Milwaukee to swallow because Milwaukee is a great offensive team in their own right. They were averaging like 120 points, points per game. But if you're Milwaukee, you have to swallow that pill, pound the ball inside, and really force Brooklyn to make a decision like, force them not to force them to play DeAndre Jordan. Force, 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 force Blake Griffin to the bench. That's what, that's what should be the goal. Um, you can't, you can't take bad shots against Brooklyn. That's almost like a turnover against Brooklyn. It really is. Bad shots are, are, are like turnovers against that team. You just can't do it. It fuels their if it, it fuels their offense. You know, I'll say this about Brooklyn. If they defend now, Brooklyn, to their credit, held Milwaukee to 43, 43 points in the second half. They held them to forty three percent from the field. Um, for the game, six of you know, uh, again they were six of. I think Milwaukee was six of twenty. I don't know why I could have six or 30. I think they were six or 20. They shot 20% from three. So I think they were six or 30 from three-point line. Brooklyn's defensive rating coming following the game is seventh. The defensive rating is seventh, and they are holding – they have – their uh, they are fourth in terms of opponent's field goal percentage. If those two numbers – those two numbers maintain – they maintain those stats over the course of the playoffs – the rest of the playoffs, they will. No one will beat them. Period. They're gonna score. They're gonna score. Like you, it's, it's, they're, it's, they're almost impossible to stop. Your best defense against them is your offense. In in some cases, in many cases, your shot selection, going inside, um, you know, killing, not destroying them on the uh, offensive boards. Now, Milwaukee did out rebound them, but not, but not by a lot. And I thought Brooklyn did a nice job of cleaning up their offensive boards, <clears throat> cleaning up their, their defensive boards after the first quarter. Brooklyn, uh, Milwaukee had eight offensive boards in the first quarter. They had seven for the rest of the game. So they did they did a good job. No, uh, Brooklyn did a good job of cleaning that up. Um, again, this Brooklyn, Milwaukee is going to have to play a, just a way cleaner and smarter game 
if they want, if they have a chance, if they if they have a chance in the series. And I believe they do. I picked Milwaukee in seven. Um, I think Milwaukee does have a chance, can win this series, but they're going to play like they're going to they're going to stick to the script as far as um, going pounding the ball inside and making sure making sure they play play Blake break Blake Griffin play uh, Blake Griffin off the floor. So you have um, tomorrow. You have Denver. You have Denver, Phoenix, um, and Milwaukee, and of course Milwaukee, Brooklyn game two, Denver, Phoenix game one, uh, game one. Want to get back? Want to get to the Lakers um, for a second? Uh, first of all, give Phoenix all the credit in the world. Devin Booker. 47 and 11 in a closeout game on the road is big. Is that's a big time performance? At least Chris Paul, give him the lot of credit fighting through an injury, injury leading that team. Booker's their best player, as they make no mistake about it. Booker's their best player, but uh, giving Monty Williams a tremendous job, um, again, leading that team for his first and Phoenix from the time F.E. Davis went down in game four, Phoenix. Owned the series and dominated the series. That's all there is to it. In regards to the Lakers, the Lakers were up against it throughout the course of the season with injuries, the short turnaround coming off the championship, coming off the bubble, 71 days. A lot of things that went against them. Uh, and, you know, to show you how spoiled Laker fans are, this is the first time the Lakers have won a championship have won a championship and will not repeat going to and since 1985 all the other championship teams after that have repeated uh with you know magic in 87 88 kobe and shaq 2000 2002 and of course kobe uh 09 and, and 2010 so you know Lakers fans you know calm down you're, you're spoiled we're spoiled i don't want to hear about any moves in regards to who the Lakers didn't sign, who the Lakers let go. None of that matters. The only thing that matters moving forward is Anthony Davis. Now, first of all, Anthony Davis shouldn't have played in that game. Um, I don't see how he was cleared to play in that game. Like I just, It's just insane that he was cleared to play in that game. That's number one. The... The Laker franchise hinges the future, the, the present, and the future of Laker franchise hinges on Anthony Davis. They're going to have to get to Anthony Davis this summer, and really have a come to Jesus conversation. LeBron, Clutch, whoever, in regards to Anthony Davis and his conditioning, and his and him really wanting to be in the guy to try finding out whether or not he's the guy to lead this franchise in the future. Not a coincidence, Anthony Davis healthy, dominant, they win a championship. Anthony Davis in and out the lineup, injured, they get knocked out in the first round. It's not a coincidence. Not at, at all. LeBron James is no longer at the at the play at the at, at, at the point in his career where he can be the best player on the team that can win a championship. He's not there anymore. He spent the better part of a decade being at that place, 
being at that, being at that place, being that guy. He's not that guy anymore. Can he still play? Can LeBron James be the second best player on the team that win a championship? Sure. Sure. I mean, without question. He knows how to uh still he's still one of the smartest player in the league, knows how to pick and choose his spots, knows how to manage his body. Takes, you know, he got injured on a freak. On, on just a freak play with Solomon Hill back in March. But the bottom line is this is about Anthony Davis. And they have to fix Anthony Davis. I don't want to hear about I don't want to hear about you know, trade him. You, no. You're not trading Anthony Davis because no other you would not get you you couldn't get to get about equal value, you couldn't get Bradley Bill for Anthony Davis. And that and again, Bradley Bill wouldn't wouldn't even be enough for this team to be a championship be honest with you. So forget about trading Anthony Davis. Nobody's taking Anthony Davis with basically four years left on his contract and with his injury history. And he, I mean, it would be a, there's, it would be a, a red flag. The fact that the Lakers would be even willing to move Anthony Davis. There are other general managers out there know what time it is in regards to Anthony Davis and his injury history, history, period. So this is to me, listen, LeBron brought him here. He respects LeBron. He idolizes LeBron. LeBron, if, I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. He, to, he might have to move in with LeBron. I don't, it, it doesn't matter. They have to fix Anthony Davis. That is Uno. That is the first, and that, that is job one for the Los Angeles Lakers franchise. Nothing else matters. I don't want to hear about free agents. I don't want to hear about draft picks. I don't want to hear about Damian Lillard. Anthony Davis is job one fix him or they don't have a future or the future is going to be bleak for that franchise. And it can go, it will go, it will go down real fast. Like they will fall off the, the cliff quickly. A couple other things before we head out, uh, of course, coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, the, the great Duke coach, head coach is going to coach one more year, retiring after 41 seasons. Uh, John Shire, similar to the North Carolina situation, basically, you know, you see Roy Williams and Coach K pick their successors in Hubert Davis and, and now John Shire, who, of course, won, won his ex-players, won a championship with them uh, in 2010 as a player and has been their coach in waiting for now. This seemingly has been in place for the last two years, for the last three years. Um, listen, listen, he's the greatest, he's the greatest coach in greatest college coach in, in the history of, of college basketball. I think he's better than Wooden. Remember, Wooden were winning championships when – you know, they wouldn't. They didn't have to play as many games in the tournament, and then they would. They actually, would, if you go back and do some research, they actually would, would put other teams on probation who were who are a threat to UCLA. That was a real thing. Go back and go back and re- do some research on that. That was a real thing. So yeah, Wooden's a legend, but in the modern era, Mashevsky is the greatest coach in, in college football history, college basketball history, and one of the greatest coaches in, in the history of sports, professional or college. Period. 41 years, was in the tournament 35 of those years, 15, 31 seasons, uh, five national championships, unparalleled success, went back-to-back in 91 and 92, um, really evolved into, did something that Bob Knight couldn't do, and that was, you know, evolve and stay and adapt to today's game and today's, you know, athlete, something that Bob Knight absolutely could not do and would not do. Uh, and that's why he got out. Um, so, you know, one of you know, a iconic figure in in in, in, the, in the history of sports. Um, 
And, you know, 70, but, you know, this is what, 74 years old. You know, he's, he's not, a, not a spring chicken anymore. Um, you saw Roy Williams retire. Coach Carey's going to be out. Um, Bayheim, who knows, could probably could be next. Bayheim, Huggins, those guys are kind of like the, you know, like some of the, the elder statesmen that are still left in college basketball. So kind of like a shift change in the world of college basketball in regards to uh, uh, coaches, um, uh, in, in regards to coaches. Now, like Tony Bennett of Virginia is going to absolutely own the ACC, right, in, for, the, for the foreseeable future. I mean, in a real way. But he, that, that guy is going to own the ACC um, uh, for, uh, for, for coaching Virginia. Julio Jones goes to Tennessee. I don't love the move. I don't hate it. I, I, I get that they were short on receivers, but he's 32 years old. Um, he's coming off a season where he missed um, seven games. And they're going to be playing 17 games this season. You're going to have an extra game. And the problem I have with a franchise, what I said to you earlier, earlier podcast, I think I mentioned this in my last podcast, is a team like the perfect team to sign a Julio Jones would be a team that does not have to depend on him uh, to be their number one and who could afford for him to miss a couple games here and there. Tennessee is not that team. Um, you have A.J. Brown, and that's it. <laughs> so if Julio Jones gets hurt, then, you know, your depth just plummets as far as your, your wide receiver depth. Plus, you know, again, I don't – they didn't give up much. To, like, I can't really go all in on – I can't kill the deal because you only give up a second and fourth to get him. So it's not like you gave up a ton to get him. But it doesn't exactly move the needle for Tennessee. Tennessee offensively was fine last year. They were they they were top three in yards per game, and they were the the third. They averaged close to thirty one points a game. The scoring was not the problem for Tennessee. Tennessee had a problem stopping people. So again, I understand the premise of it. We know Julio Jones is the all time great future Hall of Famer without question. And I think he's still a relatively can still be a productive player. It's not like he has had three or four bad years. Last year he was injured, still put up pretty good numbers, even though he, he missed seven games. If he had played those games, he would project he would have had over a thousand yards and probably double digits in touchdowns. So he's still he's still an above average player. But again, you're just you're hard pressed to be dependent on a 32 year old receiver who has dealt with a, who has dealt with injuries. Now, again, to his credit, he's played – there are a number of games that over the last two or three years when he's played that he's been hurt. <laughs> so he's he's played nicked up for the past two or three years, even though the games played might not show because he didn't – because he might not show it in terms of his – in terms of missing games uh, with outside of last year. But he has been nicked up. Uh, he's had – a lot of nagging injuries the last three or four, the last two, two to three years, as he's, as, you know, as he's gotten to his thirties. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, we'll see what happens uh, uh, in regards to that, but I, I don't think that's a move that necessarily puts that doesn't it doesn't put Tennessee over the top because they have they need a lot of help on defense. That's a wrap up this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. I will see you next time. Enjoy your week. So